Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm going to show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The Premed Year, session number 334. Hello and welcome to the three-time Academy Award-nominated podcast, The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Pre-Med Years. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week. And I'm excited to have a conversation with you today alone, just me and you, about what you need to do or what things you need to be prepared for to discuss in the medical school interview. Now, if you don't know, I do mock interviews with students and I love the responses when I ask a question and the student looks like a deer in the headlights, like, I didn't know you could ask that question. I I didn't. I wasn't prepared for that sort of question. And they're not crazy off-the-wall questions, but it's very interesting to see what students think they're going to be asked in an interview and what potentially they can be asked in an interview because those are potentially two very different things. And when there's there's a quote, and, and I'll butcher it here, that I loved, but it's, when when expectations don't meet reality, that's when there is a lot of anxiety and fear and upset and anger, right? So if you are expecting one thing and reality is something very different, you're going to either freak out during the interview or freak out after the interview. And so my goal here with this podcast, with doing mock interviews, with writing a book all about the interview process, which if you don't have yet, I think you should go check it out. It's called The Pre-Med Playbook Guide to the Medical School Interview. And I want to read you a quick, this just kind of popped into my head. I want to read you this testimonial that someone emailed me yesterday, actually, as we're recording this. And they say, hey, Dr. Gray, no questions here, but I wanted to thank you for the content you provide on your site. I recently purchased your Pre-Med Playbook Guide to the Medical School Interview book right before my one and only med school interview. It helped me to calm my nerves and realize that I deserve to be there to tell my story and share 
my passion for medicine. I turn to your podcast episodes as motivation to keep going when I thought I didn't have a chance to get into medical school. I'm happy to report that this morning, I got the call and email that I have been accepted to medical school off the wait list. I did not think I could make it this far. Thank you for giving me the courage to pursue this path and reminding me to be true to myself. This is why I do what I do. Not to get those emails, but to get you guys into school. To get certain people into school who didn't think they could. The ones who are going to be amazing physicians because they've lived a life and they've experienced lots of different things. And maybe it's not a straight path into medical school and that worries you, but don't worry, that is okay. So my goal here today is to give you some things to think about that maybe you haven't thought about for the medical school interview so that when it comes to your expectations, they will hopefully meet reality. Number one, let's talk about abortion, right? So during the medical school interview, you are going to be asked, you have the potential to be asked a lot of moral and ethical questions. How are you going to handle those scenarios? So you need to be prepared to talk about abortion. Now, you may come from a religious background, you may come from an atheist background, you may come from a family where abortion is talked about very openly. Maybe your family, someone in your family has had an abortion and they've talked about it. Maybe you've had an abortion. It can come up in the medical school interview. So you need to be able to discuss it. Talk about why people are so adamant against it. Talk about why people are for it. Maybe Nobody is pro-abortion. <laughs> be careful saying that word, right? I'm pro-abortion. Well, nobody's really pro-abortion. You're pro-choice, right? You you want women to have the the privilege, we'll, we'll put that in air quotes, to, to make that decision for themselves. And uh, maybe you're in that camp. So you have the pro-life camp, the pro-choice camp. You'd be able to talk about both sides and, and why they are so uh, diametrically opposed, they seem, to to this situation, this this topic. Be able to talk about it. And, and more importantly, be able to talk about why you have your point of view. That's the biggest thing during these interviews, MMI and traditional interviews, to talk about your thought process. How did you get to being pro-choice? How did you get to being pro-life? Right. So be, being able to talk about these sorts of difficult topics. Another moral, ethical one, euthanasia. It's, it's big in the news these days. I think I just saw it was either Maryland or Washington, D.C. or some state out east just allowed terminally ill patients to, to die if they wanted to, right? It's called kind of right to life is the, the more politically correct way to put it. So you have a physician-assisted suicide or euthanasia. Technically two different things, but <laughs> as I've been corrected multiple times before by students, uh, but generally known as euthanasia. Uh, but the right to die laws are very big. In Colorado, we passed laws a year or two ago for it. Oregon has it. California has it. More and more states are going to have right to die laws because we are seeing that keeping people alive in terrible states of health is not really fun. And it's very expensive, right? We don't want, necessarily want to think about it from a monetary standpoint, but we have to because we have limited resources. And is the person really living the life they want to live? So being able to talk about why you agree with right to life, why you don't agree with right to life, and what is the thought process behind it. 
Now, a lot of students, and I'll try to to talk about some of the kind of default answers that students have, so maybe you can dig a little bit deeper. A lot of students for right to die laws, for euthanasia, for physician-assisted suicide, however you want to talk about it, a lot of students will go, well, the Hippocratic Oath says do no harm, All right? And so it, my job is to, to save the patient, protect the patient, heal the patient no matter what. And it's a very easy cop-out and something I think you need to dig deeper on Number one, do no harm is not in the Hippocratic Oath. Uh, that's a very butchered quote uh, or attribution to the Hippocratic Oath. It's not in there. It comes from something else. Uh, but dig a little bit deeper. Why, if you are against right to life or right to die, um, are you? why are you against that? What are your, what's your thought process behind it? Now, with all of these things, you, you have to be okay with understanding that the person sitting across from you may have completely different views from you. You have to be okay with that. And you have to to still speak your mind and not worry about what is going to happen if if you are talking about something different or from a different point of view than, than that person sitting across from you. Hopefully they are a professional. Hopefully you are a professional. You are not attacking the other side. Uh, so So that's where you want to come at it from. Another big thing that you want to be talking about or want to understand or be prepared to talk about is the healthcare system and not just our healthcare system here in the US, but every healthcare system around the world. And obviously, you're not going to know what the healthcare system of Zimbabwe is. Maybe you're from Zimbabwe and you randomly do, but that's okay, right? Understand some of the bigger generalities of different healthcare systems. What is Canada's healthcare system? What is the UK's healthcare system? What does China have? What does Japan have? What does Australia have? Right? Thinking about those other countries and what healthcare systems they have, what works, what doesn't work. It was a question that was asked in the Hangout recently about universal healthcare or socialized, quote, socialized medicine. And be very careful with that term, socialized medicine, because any, any term social uh, either socialist or whatever political aspect that, that carries social in it gets very heated responses from people. And so be very careful with that. So I would refer to things as universal healthcare or single-payer healthcare. There are some truly socialized medicine systems out there with the UK being one of them. The UK, so socialized medicine is... The government is paying for healthcare, but the government is also delivering the healthcare. The majority of hospitals in the UK are government-run hospitals. The physicians in those government-run hospitals are government employees. They're government nurses, government admin. That is truly socialized medicine. That is very different than something like Canada, where it's a a single-payer system. The government is paying for healthcare. Well, the government is taking the tax money that you pay and then turning it around and giving it back to you in terms of healthcare. And that healthcare is being delivered by non-government hospitals and employees. So it can be something very similar here in the United States where we move to what's known as a Medicare for all system. With Medicare now, it's a government-run system. It's a single-payer system. The only difference is it's only for people over a certain age. And so 
it's it's care being paid for by the government through taxes being delivered by private institutions and private hospital, private physicians, private nurses, etc. And so we could easily flip a switch in the code that says, hey, everybody now qualifies for Medicare, no matter what age, and the system would re- basically be the same. Obviously, money would have to come from somewhere to pay for it. So being able to think through these things, being able to compare healthcare systems in other parts of the world is important, trying to understand, especially if you come from another country or if you've spent any significant time in another country. It's an easy question to ask about their healthcare system and what you would bring here. Be able to talk about the pharmaceutical industry, what they're doing to hurt our healthcare system, what they're doing to help our healthcare system, the the astronomical prices of medications that are in the news lately right, insulin and the EpiPen and the the hepatitis C drug, I think it was, that just overnight prices go up 600% for no real good reason. Being able to talk about those and, and not just the troubles and the challenges, but also try to come up with solutions, try to think through those solutions. So the, the question may be something along the lines of, hey, what are the issues with our pharmaceutical industry? Don't just list all the problems. Try to think of a solution as well. What would you do to reduce the costs of drugs in this country? What else should you be prepared to talk about? Let's talk about politics, right? You need to understand what our current administration is doing, what the previous administration has done, what is going on in the world of politics. Again, just like abortion where your family may or may not talk about it. Politics is another one where your family may or may not talk about it. Or if they do talk about it, maybe your family has been broken up because of it, uh, especially in the current political climate. But be prepared to talk about it. I talked to one student who went to an interview at a medical school, and the interviewer was like, hey, tell me, tell me what, what, what do you think about our president? And I was like, that is an awesome question. I'm going to use that. Because students are like, um, seriously? And the majority of students seem to, uh, well, I wouldn't say the majority, obviously 50-50, right? Half are, are pro-Trump or pro-Republican and and half are Democrats. So depending on what side of the aisle you fall on, you you may react in one way or another. Uh, and one student who I interviewed just started laughing when I asked that question. I'm like, that is something you definitely don't want to do, right? And that's where the expectation Right? If you are expecting some sort of crazy off the wall, hey, what do you think about Trump type question, if it comes up in an interview, you're ready to handle it. Okay? So again, just thinking about all of these things that you have to, to think about. You need to be prepared to talk about yourself. Right? Every student loves to say, I don't like talking about myself. Well, guess what? It's an interview. Be prepared to talk about yourself. And so you have to think through your life and your experiences and what you've learned from them and the mistakes you've made and and all of that fun stuff. So be prepared to talk about all of it. You 100% need to understand why you are applying to that school, why you want to go to that school. And it can't be as generic as, I know that this school will make me be a competent physician. I hear that way too often from students. You need to be Super, super specific about why you want to go to that school. What programs do they have? What curriculum type do they have? What sort, whatever, right? It's just digging deep 
very, very specific things about that school so that hopefully I can't take what you're saying about school A and and use it for school B. I'm like, well, wait a minute. That sounds just like this other school over here. And obviously there's going to be a ton of overlap with schools, but but don't use super generic things like, oh, I, you're going to prepare and, and it's rigorous and I'm going to be well prepared and, and you're going to teach me and blah, 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 right? It's just super generic. One thing that a lot of students will say is, oh, you serve the underserved, which is something that is is a mission of mine. Well, number one, you better have proof in your application that it's a mission of yours. And number two, the majority of medical schools out there kind of serve the purpose of serving the underserved. That's that's kind of how it works, right? You are there to learn how to be a doctor. That means you need guinea pigs to work on. And guess what? The underserved need people to look at them, to diagnose them, to treat them, to care for them. It's a perfect mix of supply and demand. So the majority of medical schools out there serve the underserved because that's how students learn. Uh, so so you really have to understand the school. And so those are the things that I just I wanted you to be aware of because those are the ones that time and time again, I, when I'm doing mock interviews with students, those are the questions that seem to always throw the students off. They're just not prepared. The, the one other thing that I'll add to being able to talk about yourself is really being able to answer why should we accept you. Students are always dumbfounded by that question. And the majority of students will answer it from more of a bragging ego sense of this is who I am and look at me and look what I've done and look how ready I am and look how prepared I am, whatever, right? Versus the way that I like to tell students to answer is think about what experiences you have, what traits do you have? How can you add to the educational environment of your peers? That's why we should accept you because you are going to be an amazing classmate. So think about it from that aspect. And remember when you're talking about abortion, when you're talking about right to die, when you're talking about healthcare systems and how to fix it and what to do and how to reduce the cost of medications, you don't have to have a right answer. If there were a right answer, we wouldn't be having this discussion because it would be fixed already. There are no right answers here. There are your thoughts and why you think about what you think about, right? What is the reasoning behind the conclusions that you're coming to? That's what you need to get to. You have your perspective. I want to know what that is and why you have it. So don't worry about, well, I I don't know the legal ramifications. I don't know the political ramifications. I don't know what I'm allowed to do, what I have to do, whatever, right? That's not the point of these questions. It's not the point of the interview. You need to have some info on these things. There was a question going around the hangout the other day. I talked about it earlier about socialized medicine and and should we have that here in the U.S.? Do you think we'd have it here in the U.S.? And a lot of students, it was just one line going, socialized medicine is terrible. I'm like, "Um, do you have any data to support that? Right? I need data. I don't want your opinion without any sort of data to back it up for a question like that and for a response like that. And data does not include, well, I was in Spain once and got treated terribly. Okay. I can tell you a story of me being treated in California terribly, misdiagnosed twice, needing to go to the hospital then for for multiple weeks being in the hospital because a a quote-unquote terrible doctor misdiagnosed me twice. That wasn't socialized medicine. That's anecdotal data. 
I wouldn't even call it data. It's an anecdotal story, right? Of one, one person, my experience, it doesn't mean the whole system is terrible. It just means your experience, unfortunately, was bad. So be careful with anecdotal stories to support what you're saying. So as best as you can, try to have some information. If you don't think we should have a system like Canada because Canadian wait times lead to deaths, well, that is portrayed a lot around talking about the negatives of the Canadian healthcare system. But is there any data to back it up? Now, I asked for data in this conversation, and, and a student sent me some data. I didn't look through it thoroughly, so I, I don't know uh, what my conclusion is based on that data. But I've talked to plenty of other people who say, no, it's, it's kind of blown out of proportion, right? There's going to be wait times, but deaths because of wait times is blown out of proportion, right? There's always going to be deaths. But if you have a broken bone, and or that's a bad example because broken bones need to be fixed. But if you have something wrong and you need something taken out and it can wait a couple weeks and you get hit by a car and die, does that mean that the delay in your surgery caused your death? No, it, it doesn't. So so that's the kind of like when I look at the data, I'm like, well, is it really the delay that caused the death? So you really have to just have some information about all of these things and not just come running in going, socialized medicine is terrible. Well, show me, right? It works for a large majority of developing uh, developed countries out there um, in one form or another, right? They're not all truly socialized medicine. Uh, why can't it work here? And talk about it, right? And, and come at it from that angle to show me that you're rational, to say, you know what? It works in a lot of countries, but, but here are some potential obstacles that we have in our country. We're more diverse of a country. We're a much bigger country. We have this problem and that problem, right? So there, there are lots of things that you can bring into the discussion for, for all of these different topics that we were talking about today. So hopefully that gives you an idea of what to talk about, how to talk about it, what to expect, and what to be prepared for on your interview day. Because if your expectations don't meet reality, then your interview day probably isn't going to go very well. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. (laughs) 